Welcome to the Intentional Guy Podcast, where we are driven to help men become more intentional and purposeful in their daily lives. Your host, Michael Chestnut, will interview amazing guests to get insight and glean wisdom from so we can integrate intentional living and lead happier, healthier, and more fulfilling lives. All right, let's get started with the show. Welcome, everyone, back to Intentional Guy. It's great to have you here. Today, I want to talk with you about leadership. And leadership is in many different aspects of our life. And, you know, from our family, from being a husband, in our community, and in our employment life as well. But what I wanted to do tonight, I wanted to bring someone who would can captivate this probably in a lot better way than I can and articulate it in a whole lot better way than I I would be able to. And I'm bringing Rick Walker with us today. Rick, it's so good to have you on our show here today. And um, I just wanted to kind of just reach us out to you a little bit. Talk to us about, first tell us a little bit about yourself, but then let's hit some of these aspects of leadership because I think a lot of times we live in fear um, as men about being, are we, you know, I did. Am I equipped to be a leader? Am I equipped to do that? And and I, I've learned quickly that God has, God will equip me for what he's called me to do. So let's give it over to you, Rick. And tell us a little bit about you. Michael, it's great to meet you. Great to be with you. Thank you for inviting me on um, so I'm based in Houston. We got a wife and three lovely little girls, and uh, God, it God is good. Um, I I would say, just paradoxically, that my life has been one of service and leadership at the same time. It's something like God calls us to that says that the the last shall be first and the first shall be last, and that that's really been the the essence of what I've ex- I've experienced so far through my quest of leadership paralleled with servanthood. Uh, but I, I consider myself a servant most primarily. Um, and you mentioned fear. And I, w- I want to start off by talking about fear in in with who I am and where I come from, because I think it's important for the the viewers to to hear what what I've done, what I've experienced, what I've been through, just to give them a little bit of credibility and, and then to know what, what they can expect out of our time together. Uh, Tozer told us this. He said that to fear and not be afraid, that is the very paradox of faith. To fear but not be afraid is the very paradox of faith. And I can tell you that for a long time, I struggled with fear. And the moment that that changed was a moment when I was on break one summer down in Corpus Christi. I went to school in Oklahoma City, and I lived down in Corpus Christi where my folks were. And I had a telemarketing job. And I, the reason I had that job that summer was because I knew that the thing I least wanted to do was to cold call people and be rejected over and over and over again. And I thought to myself, if I could do that for a whole summer, I would get over that fear. And so that's what I did. I did that one summer. Now, the next summer, I went back to the same place to work. And I went through the training, the retraining that summer. And I sat down to make my first call. And something spoke to me. And I don't know if it was God. I don't know what it was. And what I, a voice in my head was, you don't need this. And so, Michael, that very moment, I stood on, I remember this to this day, I stood up, I took the headset off, and I turned to the supervisor on the floor, and I said, I appreciate it, but, but I quit. And I walked out of that building, and that next day, I started the predecessor to this business organization that I currently run. And it's been, I think it's been 25 years wow. since then. Now, two steps of faith, right? The first step of faith is, is overcoming that which fears you most. And there's a, there's a story about King Arthur and that the Knights of the Round Table are going to go out and they're going to they look for the, the holiest thing that they could possibly find. They want to go on a great adventure. and What's better than a great venture than the greatest venture possible, which is finding something that that is holy, that the holiest thing that that was known to them, which was 
commonly the, the fountain of youth. It, but in this case, it was the it was the golden chalice. And it was rumored that that the golden chalice was the golden chalice that was that was presented next to the cross of Christ, that whenever the soldier plunged the spear in the side of Christ, that the blood flowed out and the water flowed out of Christ and they caught it in this chalice. And it was rumored that this chalice really existed, but they didn't know for sure. But King Arthur and his knights said, if there's a possibility that it exists, it's worth our very lives to go try to find it. And so they set out. Remember, they were at a round table. They set out. But the castle, the kingdom, was surrounded by forest. And, and it was, it, when they looked around, it, all they could see was trees. They didn't know which way to go to look for this golden chalice. And, Michael, they thought for a second. If I was going to hide a golden chalice, if I was going to protect it, where would it be? Where would we hide the most valued possession in all the earth. And it dawned on him. We must go into the darkest, scariest part of the forest first. Mm -hmm. Because that's where the golden chalice would most likely be. And it gives us a psychological premise as we view what fear is and how we should approach it. And it's this. The thing that you fear most is the thing you're called to do next. The thing that you fear doing most is the thing that you're called to do next. And it's also the thing that you most need to do. The thing that you least want to do is the thing that you most need to do, the thing that you most overcome. And we as men, we as leaders, I know there's women that watch the podcast as well. We must think about it that way. Not... What is the thing I want to do next? What is the thing I least want to do? And understand that's what the devil is preventing you from finding. And it's mm -hmm. always, it's always the darkest, deepest place where you would ever want to look. And it's always when you don't know what, if you don't have a specific call from God about what to go do, it's always strikingly the most difficult thing to do. Wow. Wow. And I love that, the thing you're called to do next, because, man, I, just, I can relate to that. I can just so relate to that. And then sometimes the anguish and the fear that came with it. One of the biggest things that I feared was praying with my wife. I wanted to pray with my wife. I felt God calling me to pray with my wife. But the fear was so overwhelming. When I broke through that, I remember the first time I, I just grabbed her, pulled her into myself, and I prayed a prayer into her ear, short prayer. But I remember the tears flowing out of her eyes after that. And, and now that is one of the most intimate part of our relationship. And one of the best parts of our relationship is when we take that time to pray with one another, you know, but that helped me. God, need, God called me to do that because that called me to be a better leader for my wife and for my family. So I, so I relate to that in that way with that. Yes. Oh, I love that. I love that, Michael. And that and that puts something, something at play there. And that a woman wants a man to love. And what kind of man is most worthy of love than one that's willing to put himself out there and be as intimate as possible to reveal himself fully and clearly to God in front of his wife mm -hmm. in the most intimate of, of circumstances, but also when he's looking outside of his home to be a roaring lion, a lion that's willing to go out and kill anything that gets in the way yeah. of his family, of his marriage. And it's, it's this most intimate and also the most aggressive that, yeah. that, that attracts a woman that makes right. a woman say, that's a man I can respect. 
because with only one of them, it's just an intimate, you're a patsy. You, yeah. you are, you're a pathetic man. And then if you're only aggressive toward the outside world, you're, you're an aggressor. You're, you take advantage of people. You, you're a prideful person, but that's the, also the beauty of Christ. That's also the beauty of Christ because in the very cross of Christ, you see the most ridiculed, the most humiliated, the most taken advantage man who's bleeding, who's naked, who's nailed to the cross. He can't go anywhere. He can't even defend himself. He's being mocked by two sinners on each of its side. His mother is sitting there watching him naked, dying. He's been turned in by his closest friends. But yet at the same time, when he's the most intimate, the most invulnerable person, he's also God Almighty. He's also the one whose word upholds the universe by the word of his power. He's also the one that created heaven and earth. He's the one that stands both in time and outside of time. He's the one who is omniscient, who is omnipotent, who is able to take the pain and the suffering and all the sin of mankind on himself and yet remain sinless. Mm. He is both the most intimate possible figure and he is also the most dangerous figure. In one point in history, at the same time, in the same person. And if we're made in the image of that kind of God, we know that when we reflect that type of image, that all of a sudden, our reality, our marriage, our work, our church, our leadership, how we work with our kids, that comes into full alignment with who we were created to be and what our purpose is. Well, I like that, you know, because I think for me, one of the amazing things and, and just relating it to just what you said, there's so much, there's so much to dissect there and the importance of it. But I, and, and I don't want to, I want to be authentic in this, that, you know, in that moment when I pray, I, I like that you said fear comes from those things that we're called to do next. Because in that step of obedience that I did was what God needed me to do so that I could conquer the many other things that were coming. Because that gave me such strength to become a leader for my family in the simple fact it, it, it helped me to also become more Christ-like. It gave me, it built up that power of God inside of me. It encouraged me and it made me more bolder. This is just a simple fact, just a simple thing to where I found change in my life. Every day I, I, I strive, intentional is my word, because I've, I've lived a life of not being intentional. And I, I got nowhere quickly right and so now I, I realize the importance of being very intentional in what i do but i have to i have to have the right goals the right settings and one of the things that i find is that we as men uh we lack some of the knowledge of what a real leader is because maybe we haven't had that given to us and some of the things what I, I want to ask you a question on leadership um, with, with inside the family. And I, and I shared this story with you a little bit ago. And I, I don't even know how I got to this. And, and you might be able to help me because uh, sometimes we just do things through obedience, right? And one of the things where I knew that the enemy always conquered my family, this is where he always discouraged us was our finances. Always. This is where we felt God didn't love us. This is where we felt like God wasn't being faithful to us. This is where we felt uh, just lies, but, but living paycheck to paycheck too, which a lot of people do, right? And uh, we had some friends who were very bold with us. And I realized we were not, first, we were not doing as we, we should have been doing. We were not tithing as we should. 
So we, we weren't, we're be, weren't being obedient, okay? So as a leader, me, I sat down with my wife, scared to death, but sat down with boldness and we discussed that. And she was on the same page with me. It, it was funny. She was waiting on me, you know, and we, we took that step of obedience with it. Now, there's a long trail to what happened, and I won't get into that today because God's ways are not our ways, but God wanted us just to be that in obedience. In that step, within less than a year, uh, we became debt-free. We were able, we took the Dave Ramsey courses, we took it, we took it twice uh, because the first time didn't take. Uh, you know, and we it, we, it was overwhelming. And, but we went to those, so we went, we practiced those principles. We even went to someone outside of, after doing the Dave Ramsey, said, listen, we've taken Dave Ramsey's, we need accountability. So we got accountability. Somebody helped us. Next thing you know, God has blessed us in ways that we never thought he would bless us. Now, I would like you, I, and that brought joy to me. How, as someone who can articulate it but way better than me, how, does, how do we help others to find that same joy, peace, and leadership with inside their own family to get there? Wow, that's, that's a tough question. That's a tough question. So I, I think we want to look at it from the perspective of killing monsters. Right. I mean, we're 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 dumb guys. We're we're we just kind of we want to be heroes, but we don't have the, the strength to be heroes. We're, we fear being laughed at, being mocked. And, and the first yeah. people to mock us are generally the people in our own home. Right. They know us the best. Uh, yes. And uh, and so, like, I, I went out and played some basketball with, with a couple of my girls yesterday and, and they're talking trash to me. And I and I, I, I'm 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 twice their height, but they're still talking trash to me. It's just a level of comfort. It's, it's beautiful, but it's also kind of there. They, they know us a little bit too well. And I think, the, I think the thing to make sure that our family knows is that we desire to be like Christ. We don't claim to be like Christ. Right. We desire to be like Christ. And there's some things that he said. He said, be holy as I am holy. So be holy on all you do. Being holy as God is holy will never be as holy as God's doing. But what he's doing is he's saying, aspire to do that, want to do that. It's a it's a directional focus that this is what I want to be. I'm never going to be. I'm never going to be as holy as God. I'm never going to be as good as God. I'm never going to be as strong as God. But I have a command there. And if there's a command there, there's the promise that it's possible for me to move, at least move in that direction. And maybe for a moment, be obedient. So maybe for a moment, maybe for one night, we can have a frank conversation with our wives. Or maybe when it's becoming halfway through the through the year, which I, th I think today's phase 6-1, um, maybe we could say, hey, kids, we're going to start doing our devotions halfway through the year. We're going to try this for a quarter. Right. That's why God gives us new weeks and new months, new quarters, new years is so that we can have fresh starts. That's why we do that. And so you can use the calendar as your excuse of why you're doing things. Um, I've also I've also found that doing things that are overtly intentional help get things out, get some of the, the fear out of the way. And so. Um, I don't I don't think that I've got it here with me, but I uh, every year I create some note cards and I have them laminated and and they are a devotional plan for myself and for my kids. So every night my kids all do the same devotional plan. So it's generally it's uh, one set of verses every week to focus on. So we're all reading the same things or it's like this year it's a calendar with 31 days and every day has a unique verse that they're emphasizing and thinking about. And then on the back of it, back of the card, there's a set of prayers. God, reveal yourself to me. God, thank you, God, for my for my family. Thank you, God, for my sisters. And we name these. Thank you, God, for the missionaries that we know. There's, there's sets of prayers because if we're reading the same things, Michael, and we're praying for the same things, there's yeah. alignment. And when there's alignment, a fleet of ships can all head the same direction. 
But when there's not alignment, ships start crashing into one another and we can't get to where we're going. And if there's directionality in our family, it's got to come from somewhere. And if it's not coming from me, it's coming from somewhere else. And, and so, and so I've got to be overtly directional in my family. And what you did is the hardest thing. You do it the first time, you do the second time. Then after that, it's just, it just comes, but you got to do it the first time. And a man does it the first time. A man has that hard conversation the first time because that's who we're built to be. Oh, wow. I love that. And, and just the, you're speaking to because I'm sitting, there's something that me and my wife are, are, are doing. Our kids are grown and we're learning how to still be that spiritual leader when they're grown. Right. And I am going to take what you just did for my family. I love that with the, the card and doing that and, and, and setting that because uh, I had a whole a guest on that was like, we don't just stop leading them once we become empty nesters and send them off. We're still leading our, our family. And I, I, I want, they need it so bad. But I love the practicality of what you said. And, um, the idea, I love strategies, first off. Processes are great. But I like the, what you said, too, is we, we just got to take that first step. Yes, yes. And let me let me jump in here too, Michael, because what you said is something very important that after the kids leave, it seems like we're done, but we know we're not. If when the kids leave, it seems like we're done, but no, we're not. We have to think about this as multi-generational. Um, and, and you think about if anyone's ever planted a church. And now, by the way, I'm not a pastor, I'm a business guy. I sit in an office all day every day. Um, I've never been you know, in a, in a pastoral role. But I do know that whenever you go plant churches, we've, we've planted probably 15,000 churches through different organizations that we've led. When you plant a church, you always plant a pregnant church. You plant a church whose intention is to go plant another church very, very quickly. And it's not a true church unless it's going, going to plant other churches. Well, leaders are like that. Leaders are like that, that you can't be a leader unless you have followers. But You can't be a godly leader unless you have the process in place to go create other leaders or the intent to go create other leaders that they have to propagate because we're concerned about eternity. We're not concerned about just our lives. Right. And if we're going to leave a lasting impact, we've got to create additional generations of leaders. But for the kids, the kids that are adults that leave the leave the home, that's the real challenge. It's not creating the next generation leaders. It's the difficulty of creating that church that plants pregnant churches. It's that it's that third generation that you have to be worried about. It's the difficulty of creating leaders who know how to create leaders who then multiply. And that's that's the trick. That's why most leaders fail is because they're great personalities. They're great communicators, but they don't have the process, the intent, and the consistency and the persistence to go back down in, into the third generation, the fourth generation, and create leaders who make leaders of men. Um, and, and that's going to be the ch- your challenge right now is also the, the challenge of probably the most capable generation in trying to grow the grandkids. Um, and, and, I would, and I would argue that the grandkids are more important than your own kids in, in terms of building leaders and building Christians and building people of faith because they're going to have a more difficult time. Yeah. I mean, I, I know we had challenges growing up, but man, the, these, the kids that are, you know, in their, in their teens and in their twenties have a very difficult time. Yeah. It doesn't time. match what our kids are going through today. Does it? What we had to go deal with. Thank you. No. I'm so thankful. We didn't have social media when I was a kid. Oh Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, despite like like all the all the horrible content that's on there, but they're scrolling all day. They don't have an attention span, and yeah. the only asset that you and I really have is our attention. Like, if I'm going to value something, I'm going to give my attention to it. Um, that's why I think it was, um, I think it was um, one of the great one of the great philosophers' name escapes me right now, but he says that you become that 
that to which you give your attention. You become that to which you give your attention that whatever you pay attention to is what you slowly become. If you're watching great content on YouTube, you're becoming that great content. But yeah. also you go back and you look at the words in Psalm and you look and see what happened in first Samuel, second Samuel, whenever you worship dumb idols, you become a dumb idol yourself. Yeah. And, and that's, that's what this new generation has propensity to do because they have it in their pocket at 24 seven. Yeah. And I like that because it's very true. What you pour into yourself is what's going to flow out of you. And we, I got away from that for a while. And then I had to realize, you know, I, I have to be very intentional what I'm pouring into me, what I'm reading, what I'm watching on television, what just YouTube, uh, you know, people just mindlessly go through TikTok, and what are you watching? You know, it's just it's it's crazy um, with that. But I, but it's true. What what you pour in to you is what's going to flow out of you. And a absolutely, absolutely. And let me let me add something to a previous thought. I thought. Remember, I said we're, we're just dumb men going out to go do battle with with our enemies. We're trying to we're trying to kill enemies. We're trying to kill evil. We're trying to kill things that are going to attack us and our family. And I mentioned attention. Things are trying to attack our attention. But we've got to think about this from the enemy standpoint. Like if you don't know what you're supposed to do, remember I said earlier that if you don't know what you're supposed to do, God's not calling source. So you just go ahead and do the hardest thing. Just go do the most difficult thing. That's probably the right thing to do. Um, let me give you another go-to rule in that if you don't know what God wants you to do. You always know what Satan wants you to do. And you just do the opposite. Yep. You always know what Satan wants you to do, and you just do the opposite. Now, if you take that, if you take that as an operating rule, which I do, I take that very, very seriously, that what is, Sat what is Satan's objective versus God's objective? God's objective is to get us to worship him. If we can worship him, we'll be in alignment with with God and our purpose and we'll we'll obtain eternal life. But Satan's job is a lot easier. Like he doesn't have to get us to worship him. He just has to distract us to run out the time. He's got to have to run out the clock on our lives. Yeah. And and so it's yeah. an easier job. God has to make us worship him. Satan just has to get us to do anything but worship him. Yeah. And and if we remember that the scrolling, the watching the YouTube stuff that's not fulfilling, the watching the TV, the, the excessive sleep, those sorts of things, you're doing what pleases Satan. Yes. And in doing so, you're aligning yourself with the darkness, the evil, the chaos, the things that will mess up your life forever. But again, you're not doing it in an ominous way. You're doing it. Well, I'm just filling some time. I'm just watching some football. I'm just watching some, some news. But if what you're doing is also pleasing to Satan, you've got another thing coming. There's something else deeper happening there. And that's why I like your story of battling debt. Debt is your enemy. Mm -hmm. And people have to realize what their true enemies are. And your true enemy is an ultimate enemy who has a very, very easy job. As long as you don't worship God, you're doing anything else in the whole world. You're doing good stuff, but you're not worshiping him. He wins. Why are we helping him win? Yep, exactly. I Let me, can we take another point here too? Um, yeah. I'll ask you a question, okay? Uh, because our time's limited. And I know I've got some men that's listening right now. They're not leaders. They want to be leaders, but they don't feel equipped to be a leader or they feel inadequate or I, we could go all day with excuses, right? Excuses come to us very easily. How can you encourage my listeners that are listening right now that are um, not leading? And I'm talking every aspect. We're not, we're, we're, we're talking your wife, your family, but we're also talking employment and other things like that. How would you encourage them today? Where, where, what is the strategy? See, I'm a process guy. What's the strategy? What's, 
what's something encouraging that you can give that can say quit because what you just said was important so a lot of people are just wasting time they're they're sitting in a fog and so the enemy's winning because they're not they're not engaged in anything right and i believe we're going to get somewhere in life i want to i want to be intentional um the reason why i'm so intentional in things is because i know the devil is intentional in trying to make me fail so i want to be in i need to be intentional in in following christ so that i don't fail so with that giving that to you what's something that you can shine our way that would maybe help that guy that's listening that's defeated that he he doesn't lead he, he's not a leader he's he's just existing wow so that's that's a very very difficult thing to answer i will do my best i'll do my best to answer that i love knowing the hard that, questions yeah so so knowing, knowing that there are men across the spectrum here there's men that are dealing with self-confidence but there's also men who have who are very very smart listening to this podcast that are very very capable they just they're afraid of risks um mm-hmm. let me let me recommend two operating principles um for this very thing and for your life and these are these are if we had more time we could connect these to biblical um examples but let me give you two operating thesis uh, operating principles they're very very easy no excuses no excuses there are no good excuses there's never a good excuse and number two no delays no delays ever no excuses and no delays now let me I want to I want to tell you how I operate. Now I want to I also want to tell you yeah I I grew up in a two bedroom household. My dad was out of work most most time growing up. Um, I had a very difficult time, and so when I start when I started my business, I didn't know anyone. Like I didn't have any seed money. I didn't have anything. Um, in fact, if you made zero dollars this year, you made more money than what I made the first ten years of running my first business combined. If you made zero this year, wow. so you're already ahead of me. You're already ahead of me. Um, I'm not a very smart person. I, I, I know. I know. I. It sounds like I've, I'm really, really, really well read. I can't even say that. But I'm not a very smart person. Um, um, I don't come from a wealthy background. I didn't have a good network of of connections. Um, but what I do have is I have the ability to work, and I have the ability to fail a lot the ability to work and the ability to fail a lot in fact those are really only my two assets and I, i'm i'm speaking from me personally um and i so when i was in my 20s i built the first business up to 400 employees when i was 26 um running the thing from a starbucks because i didn't know how to build a management team um but what i started to do is i started to give away all the money I made because I read in Luke 12, 34, that where your treasure is there, your heart will be also that I could direct my heart by, by sending my money places that I could send my money to planning more churches, to doing more evangelism, to leadership training. And if I did that, God would start making my heart care about those things. And as I care about those things, I would be interested in, in learning more and reading about those things and helping people in those areas. And so that's what God started to do. And so as I started to do that, I started to become involved in things like missions. And so in my thirties, um, God, for some reason, uh, put me eventually as chairman of a organization that had staff in 53 countries. And we scaled the staff, like we scaled the, scaled the business from 800 up to, I think, 2,300 team members. Um, while I was running the original business, okay? Um, at the same time during that period, um, I also um, was appointed to become chairman of a charitable foundation that had like $250 million in assets that we would just give away. Huge blessing, huge blessing. Um, and at the same time, so I, so this is now three jobs. So this is like four job number four. I'm, where's, my, where's my number four on the camera? Uh, at the four, at the same time, um, I began to love my city of Houston, and I was able to work with a group of people. And we recruited five billion with a B 
dollars in investment to create new jobs here in here in Houston, which has just revolutionized the entire economy and the entire the entire city. Um, so four jobs simultaneously did them all fairly well. We're able to scale scale them up, um, but you don't do that by going and working eight to five. You don't do that by just doing the bare minimum. You don't do that by hoping that you're going to get lucky, that you're going to start a website, you're going to go viral, and it's just going to take off. You do that through process. And the process is this. You have to become better than everyone else around you at whatever you're trying to do in order to just be noticed. Just be noticed. And so you have to build competency. And the only way anyone's going to know that you're competent is by number two, by building your communication skills. Um, I started, I started my podcast last year, uh, and, and I'm going to I'm going to get down to some more tactical things that we can do that men can do here in a second. But let me give you guys an idea about how vulnerable I am. It, it seems like I'm communicating fairly decently right now. I started my podcast, I guess, two and a half years ago, and I was, I think my my first podcast, I, I interviewed a member of Congress. My third podcast, I interviewed a, a, a sitting U.S. senator. Um, I interviewed all these really impressive people that had exponentially better communication skills than I had. And by about the fourth podcast, I realized these guys have something that I don't have communication-wise. And so what did I do? I went out and I hired a communication coach. I couldn't really afford it as business was in the tanker because of the pandemic and stuff like that. But I did it anyway. I sacrificed to do that. And I think that it's helped, but it's taken me really 24 months of practice of working with this coach to be able to get to what you're seeing now. But the communication is meaningless if I don't also had had the competency before. Now, how do you get competency? How do you become good at something so that you can become a leader. You get there through learning and through mistakes. You read books. I hated books. I hated books, but but I can listen to books. I can listen to books. And so I set forth a rule for myself that in my car, I don't listen to music. I don't listen to talk radio. I listen to books. And all of a sudden, if you can pour 50 books a year in to your brain just by doing that, you slowly become a different man. So give me examples. So I've I've been reading physical or listening to audiobooks, 50 of them, sometimes 75 or 100 of them a year for probably 10 to 12 years now, would be my guess. Okay. So so if a if a man were to look at look at me and say, hey, I would love to be able to communicate like Rick, that's what it takes. You're going to pour 500 books in, 500 books. But even a stupid person like me, Michael, I can put a book in in my earbuds and I can just listen to it. I don't have to do anything. I I just listen to it. I don't have to read it. I don't have to get up early. And so if we can do little things like that, set a rule in your car where you don't listen to music, you don't listen to talk radio, but you listen to things that build you up, that's going to get you a long way. Podcasts are the same way if they're learning podcasts. Uh, the second right. one I did is no fiction. I don't read anything that's fake. I only re- read stuff that that uplifts me, that builds me, that helps build my faith, build my business, and help me, helps me build other leaders. And so we, we're, we're setting very narrow parameters on what we read. Um, and so let me give you the third thing about that's critical to become an effective leader. So I already mentioned competency, communication, and the third thing is integrity. The third thing is integrity. Integrity and holiness are the same thing. That we have to figure out. Remember when I said about Christ, be holy as I am holy, but then your family knows you're not really holy because they live with you. The integrity thing is what's important. You have to be the same man in private and in public. And, And so I would venture to say that if you talk to any of my employees, if you spoke to anyone that I sit on boards with, what you get right here is the same thing. Now, my kids see me in a little bit different context, but if they, when they see me in this sort of role, they're like, yeah, that's dad too. That's dad too. Um, and so we, we put those three things in place, competency, communication, and integrity. 
Now, let me, let me give you an idea of what that looks like in my schedule right now, like what I'm doing right now. Um, about a year ago, year and a half ago, um, I began to pay attention to what some of my really successful friends do. Right. Life is a hierarchy. As you as you kind of move up the hierarchy, you become acclimated with more people that are more competent. You become more impressed by by people. I've got this friend, same age, but he comes from a good family. His dad taught him everything. I love my dad. He's taught me lots of great things. He comes from a, a family that is very well resourced. He's good looking. He works out more. He's got a much bigger house. He's smarter than I'm. Like he's got all the stuff. He's got all the stuff. And I started sort of thinking to myself, well, Rick, how do you, how do you compete with that? Not in an idealistic stand, standpoint, like I don't idolize the guy, um, but how could I become that one day, right? God gives us visions, gives us dreams of what we could become. How could I become that one day? And I got to realize that I'm competing for attention against guys like that all over the place. Those guys are, are in all the industries. And he told me, he said, Rick, I get up at four o'clock every morning and I go and I exercise and I read and I, I do some work and and I'm out by five and I, and I go, go and join my family, but I also travel 200 days a year. I thought, well, two, traveling 200 days a year is not going to work for me. But what about the other things? And I said, well, I'm starting with less resources. I'm not as good looking. He's a better dresser. He's got a bigger company. He's got better, better bones. Like he's got a better family background, better connections than I do. But I've got to compete against this guy just kind of mentally. I've got to give myself a, a, an object, someone to compete against, although one of my best friends. I thought, well, if he can get up at four, what if I can get up at 3.30? Like, I've got to give something else because I can't compete on those other things. All I can do is I can compete on effort and I can mm. compete on trying. Those are the only two things I can compete to try to keep up with those sorts of guys. And these are the same sort of leaders that you see all around you, but just right. in varying degrees, right? The guy, the guy that goes into work at six is going to outform the guy that goes to work at eight. Yes. Who's going to outform the guy that goes to work at eight thirty? It it it's it's about effort in the long run. Okay, so I started to get up at three thirty, and I drive to the office, get to the office about four four fifteen. I sit down with my cup of coffee, and at least uh, probably a year and a half now, um, I've spent an hour uh, in in my Bible mm. every single morning. Well, Monday through Friday anyway. Hour of my Bible, solid, just reading it. I know a lot of the guys on the podcast, they can't sit down and read like that. Um, and it's not easy when you first start doing it, but sit down and read for five minutes, for five minutes. But just get in the habit of doing that. So the trigger is my alarm goes off at 3.30. My alarm's in the other room. It's in my closet. So I have to stand up, get out of bed, go in there, turn the alarm off. I'm already standing up. I might as well throw some clothes on. I'm already awake. So I just go and throw some clothes on, brush my teeth, do my hair. I get in the car. Drive to the office, get the office like, man, I need a cup of coffee. The trigger is when I get my cup of coffee, I get to sit down on the couch. And when I sit down on the couch with my cup of coffee, that means it's time to read my Bible. So I read my Bible for an hour. And then after that, I read other things that uplift me, things that, that tell me about history. And I don't, I don't read newer books. Honestly, books that are written in the last 50 to 100 years are trash. I'm reading stuff that was written hundreds and thousands of years old. The ancient Jewish scriptures, the uh, the stories out of out of Italy, how the great families ascended to power and how they maintain power maintain power over hundreds of years. I'm reading things that that are the, you know the great literature. What can I learn from that? Now I'm not saying all this is going to interest your listeners, but what I'm right. saying is it starts somewhere. And so I read for a second hour, and so by that time it's about six fifteen in the morning. And 6.15 in the morning, I can start thinking about strategy, like what do I want to do long-term? What does God have in mind for my, for my kids? Um, how can I get the best use of, out of our time together? How can I do things more strategically? And if people start coming in around 7 or so, I, I get to have coffee with those people. But if I'm in the office till, say, 5 o'clock, now at 4 o'clock in the morning, my kids don't even know I'm – my kids are still asleep. They don't know dad where right. dad is. Right. But if I was to go work late – they would say dad's never home at night, but now right. like, so I'm working till five. Now, Wednesdays, the, the kids are generally at church and I can work till eight. So that's 4 a.m. to 8 p.m. That's a 16 hour day. So say, so say the rest of it. Now, this is, this is where I want your listeners to replicate, to start thinking like this. 
let's say you're able to put in 12 hour days instead of eight hour days. Let's just, let's say you're able to do that. You're able to put in 60 hours a week. Not that you're paid right. to work 60 hours a week. You're paid a salary, but you're paid to work 60 hours a week. And you use some of that time to get better, to get better, right. develop your leadership. And if you work a year, you work, everyone else would have to work a year and a half to equal your experience. Yes. If you work 10 years, everyone else have to work 15 years. Now, I would commonly, before I started doing this, I would commonly work 80-hour weeks, not because I had emergencies, not because I had work to do. That's just the kind of person I was. Now, if, I'm, if I've been doing this for 25 years, and on average, I've worked 80 hours a week, that means I have 50 years of experience, but yet I'm in my 40s. Imagine the value if you're in your mid-40s and you've got 50 years of experience, but also that you have 50 years of failures and you've thought about all those failures. I'm not, I'm not successful. I've just failed a lot and learned from those failings. That's, that's, my, that's, my, that's my secret weapon is I fail a lot, but I'm really, really good at, at messing up, at, at failing. And it's all intentional failing that is directional. I make a midterm adjustments and I move forward and I, and I get that way. So, so practicality. That's what a leader's schedule will look like long term if they're actually out there hustling, if they didn't start with anything, if they didn't get lucky. I mean, it's that that's what that's what I have to do. I've got to outwork everyone else because that's all that I have to do. I'm not smart enough. I'm not rich enough. OK, so if you want to lead, if you want to lead, I want you, first of all, to start working on your competency. I want you to listen to some books. I want you to listen to some podcasts. Mm -hmm. Don't listen to any fiction. Don't listen to any podcast that talk about other things. Listen about like your principal work. If you have a if you have a love, you want to serve in church. You want to lead a, a Sunday school class, which that's probably the very first thing that a man should aspire to do is be able to teach Sunday school, even to the kids. Right. Get in. Get into the word. Listen to people like you know John Piper and John MacArthur. You know whatever your philo your theological bent is, find those people that are solid and listen to them. I'm not talking about reading anything. Just listen to them. When you lay down at night, put the, put the earbuds in your ear and listen to them. Don't watch TV. Um, and, and start working on the man that you are. Now, where does success come from? Success comes from, in God's eyes, is when, and I'll end with this. Success comes from, in God's eyes, is whenever you th those three things align themselves. Competency, communication, and integrity. Those things align themselves. But what God looks at, remember, God doesn't judge the actions. He judges the thoughts and the intents of the heart. It's the why that matters. And I want to I close with this other thought. Remember, I started with the quote from A.W. Tozer that the fear not to be afraid is the very paradox of faith. I want to end with a quote from A.W. Tozer. And it's, it's this. It's not what a man does that makes him holy. It's why he does it. It's not what you do that makes you successful. It's why you do it. It's not what you do that's going to please God. It's why you do it. It's not what you do that will give your life meaning and purpose and will remember you long after you're gone. It's why you do it. Because God looks at the heart. It's the heart that matters. Oh, I love that. I love closing on that. And I love the fact that everything you just said is the path I took. You articulated it a lot better, but I wasn't a reader. And I started uh, listening to uh, auto audible books started there I don't, yes. and I don't do fiction I I I do things that help me to reach my goals you know of what I want and um with it and and one of the things that you said in here that I like because I hear this from some people why well, I don't like to read well I don't like to and there's always an excuse well then I can't help you if you don't want to put effort towards doing this then there's nothing that can be done you have to put effort in 
to becoming that man you want to be. And, and that's just the simple truth to it is you've got to do it. And you've given us some great practical steps in it. And, and I want to just recap competency, communication, integrity, all characteristics that I feel like us as men, we, we should want. And if we don't want it, it's not too late to, to go after those things. And these are great things that will help us uh, to, be, to be a better version of ourselves, but also a leader. Because God has called, I believe God has called us to lead. And, and especially in our home, but even in our jobs, everywhere else. So, Rick, thank you so much uh, for joining us today. And, and being on here. What's the name of your podcast? Where can they they see your podcast at? Great. So we're primarily on YouTube, uh, but it's, it's just Rick Walker. It used to be called uh, Conversations at the Mansion, uh, and we re-ran it to Rick Walker very recently. So you can find it. Just type in Rick Walker, Rick Walker Leadership. You can find it. I think the hashtag or the handle is Rick Walker Text. I'm also on Twitter, on Twitter a lot, and okay. Facebook. And then also, if anyone's on Discord, um, I do have a brand new Discord server that we set up. Uh, if you have any any young listeners that would be interested in that, but yeah, so on the on the podcast, it's very very general. Sometimes it'll be Bible study. Sometimes we'll look at ancient religions. Sometimes we'll look at different literatures, different strategies, war strategies, things like that. It's all over the place. But the reason why it's all over the place is that we have to understand how the world works if we're able to be yeah. world class leaders, right? We're gonna we're gonna lead our families right. first. And then we're going to lead our communities, lead our churches. And then, and then we slowly build our leadership from there. And so my hope is that, you know, just like just like you, Michael, if we can get a little bit of leverage and help young, middle-aged, older men and, and, and women as well um, be able to build their leadership, that's going to help us fulfill our purpose and fulfill our calling. Just as I know it, it helps, helps you fulfill your calling as well. Exactly. Exactly. And again, I want to thank you for taking the time out to be on our show today. To my listeners out there that are listening, uh, I hope you glean a lot from this. And until next time, I'm just going to tell you, just keep being intentional. We'll see you next week. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Intentional Guy Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show and got some real value out of it. Tell others what you learned and share the podcast if you think they would benefit from it too. Please follow us on your favorite podcast platform, leave a review, and consider checking out our website, intentionalguy.org, to learn more about us and get in touch. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.